Thank you very much, guys, for leading us in prayer and doing the scripture reading for us. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen this yourself, but I have noticed, as I've uh, been watching the news uh, recently over the last number of weeks, increasingly uh, I see stories about how uh, the COVID crisis is actually affecting relationships and, of course, affecting them primarily negatively. Um, this is particularly the case with people who live in the same house. So this is spouses, parents and children, siblings, this kind of thing. And of course, there's, there's many, many reasons for this, and some of them are pretty obvious. There's the, the pandemic stress that people are feeling, financial stress and wondering about their jobs, wondering about their health, of course, or the health of loved ones. And then coupled with that is the simple fact of proximity. You know, you spend a lot of time with people that you spent less time with uh, in the past, and it creates pressure, it creates strain. And so you hear about people arguing and uh, people fighting and, and uh, relationships are being, are being kind of, maybe not completely torn apart, but they're being damaged as a result of everything that, that's been going on around, of, around us. Uh, when I do marriage counseling with people, preparing for marriage, I always talk to them in the very first session about the importance of cultivating a lifestyle of confession and repentance. And I talk about how incredibly important it is for confession and repentance to be such a, an integral part of their marriage relationship. Think of, think of your relationship like a car engine, okay? Your car engine runs on gas, obviously, and that's what powers the engine and moves the drivetrain and the wheels turn and all that kind of stuff. But what does an engine need in order to keep going? It needs oil, right? You've got to maintain the proper level of oil in order for the engine to run smoothly. And if you don't, the engine will overheat and it will seize and the car won't go anymore. And in the same way, confession and forgiveness are the oil of human relationships. Without constant confession and forgiveness, uh, relationships break down. And so we need to practice these two things. The problem is, of course, uh, that we're not actually very good at it. Human beings are profoundly poor at practicing confession and forgiveness. In fact, they're, they're pretty bad at both sides of those things. Um, people have a hard time saying sorry. They have a hard time just sort of admitting that they've done something wrong, kind of owning their stuff, you know, and asking other people to forgive them for that. And oftentimes when they do, the effort is kind of half-hearted and feeble. You know, with young kids, uh, let's say Johnny takes Billy's truck and uh, Dad intervenes and he says, now, Johnny, you're not supposed to take Billy's truck. Give Billy his truck back. Okay, he gives Billy his truck back and then he stands there with a grumpy look on his face and you say, now, what do you say? And they stand there and they kind of go, mm, sorry, sorry. It's forced, right? And it's feeble. It's not just kids that do this. Adults do this too. Uh, we're not very good at saying sorry. And in fact, we're not very good at forgiving people either. Um, we can hold grudges. There are people with very, very long memories. They dwell on their past hurts. 
they almost nurse their past hurts. It's, it's almost like they need to go back to those memories and, and breathe new life into them if they start to, to die off in any way. And, and sometimes they bring their past hurts up to others or even the perpetrators themselves. One of the things I've heard people say is, you know, I, I can forgive, but I'll never forget. Or sometimes people say, well, yeah, I forgive so-and-so for what they've done to me. I just, I just don't want a relationship with them. I just don't want anything to do with them moving forward. And the sad thing is that Christians are often just as bad as everybody else at this. And I say sad that it's a sad thing because if there's one thing that Christians ought to understand, if there's one thing that Christians ought to get, it's this, the need to confess our sins to each other and the need to grant forgiveness to one another, to bring about reconciliation. Listen, Christians are not special. They're no different than everybody else in that they are people just like everybody else, in relationships just like everybody else, and they are sinners just like everybody else. Alexander Pope said, to err is human. And that is true of Christians as much as it is of everybody else. But here's where Christians ought to be different. They're forgiven. They're forgiven by the Creator, by the one who breathed life into them, by the one who, who took knowledge of them in love. As Psalm 139 says, God actually knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he put the, the sinews and the ligaments and the bone and the flesh and all the cells and all the veins and all the arteries and all the muscles and, and the skin and the organs and everything. He put it all together like a master craftsman. He knows you intimately. He cares about you deeply. He gave you the breath of life and you rebelled against him. This is true of all people. We rebelled against him. We said, you are my creator. You are the one who designed me. You've given me a way to live, but I think I know better and I'm going to live my way instead of your way. Thank you very much. And we, wa we, we walked away from him. We, we, you, know, you know what we're like? We're like a little girl. I can't remember where I heard this, but it's really good. We're like a little girl who sits on their father's lap and then just out of nowhere, slaps him in the, across the face. Now, the only way we could even slap God across the face is, is if he's holding us up, just like the only way a little girl could slap her father in the face is if he's sitting on, she's sitting on his lap. But that's what we do. And what we deserve is judgment and punishment. But a Christian is someone who confesses their sin to God. A Christian is someone who says, yes, that's what I've done. I've, I've turned my back on you. I have chosen to go my own way. I've told you I want nothing to do with you. They own their sin and their rebellion. And instead of receiving judgment, instead of receiving punishment, they receive forgiveness. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. And therefore, they should be the most loving people in the world. Now, I know that sounds like an amazing statement. If you're new to the Christian faith or you, 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 you wouldn't call yourself a believer, you say, what? Christians should be the loving, most loving people in the world? Why, why can't I be the most loving people in the world? Well, the Bible says that Christians are the most loving people in the world or should be the most loving people in the world. Often they aren't. That's my argument here. 
but they should be the most loving people in the world because they're the most forgiven people in the world. There's a story in Luke chapter 7. And in that story, Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader. His name's Simon. Goes to his place for dinner. And Simon is kind of cold and he's kind of aloof. Uh, He's kind of distant from Jesus. And over the course of the meal, we're actually introduced in the story to another person, a woman who is a tremendous sinner. She's a prostitute. But she is passionate and she is emotional and she is intimate. She weeps over Jesus and to the point where she actually washes his feet with her tears. She's so emotional. And Simon, he's watching this all unfold and he's completely disgusted by it and he thinks this is terrible. And Jesus is watching Simon, watching the girl or the woman. And he discerns what's going on in Simon's heart and he wants to draw it out. And he says to Simon, listen to what he says. This is Luke 7, verse 44. Do you see this woman? Jesus asked. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But for who ha- bah, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now listen to, listen to this once again. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, you want to know why this woman is, is, is the way she is? so full of compassion and empathy and, 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 and intimacy and love. Why is she so full of love? I'll tell you why. She knows she's a big, big sinner, but a big sinner who's been forgiven. She loves deeply because she's been forgiven. So Jesus says, the most loving people in the world are the most forgiven people in the world. Let me ask you a question. What do you think a Christian is? What do you think a Christian is? I suppose there's all kinds of ways to answer that question. Here's one way to answer a Christian answer the question. A Christian is someone who knows that they are wicked. In fact, they know that they are more wicked than they want, even want to admit. They know that they're not who they should be. They, they, they know that they're not even who they want to be. They don't even measure up to their own moral standards, let alone God's perfect standard. They know that there's something wrong with them. Yet, at the same time, a Christian is not just a person who knows that they are a wicked sinner. A Christian is someone who knows that they are loved and cherished and delighted in and adored. Yes, I use the word adored by the God who made them and redeemed them. Because through Jesus Christ, Jesus who lived for them and who obeyed perfectly over the course of his life for them, he also died for them. And so they know as they look at the cross, they know that they are loved beyond their wildest imagination and so they can love others. See, in John chapter 13, 
Jesus says something very interesting to his disciples. He says this, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What does it mean for us to be loving people? Well, Jesus says it means to love in the way that he loves. And at the very least, at the very least, that means to be forgiving. That means to be forgiving, just like Jesus himself is forgiving. Now, why am I telling you all this? That's a very long introduction, I know, to this message. And it's because... I'm introducing a new series this morning. What we're going to do over the next number of weeks together is we are going to take a deep dive into the Bible to construct a biblical theology of confession and forgiveness. See, the Bible has a lot to say about confession and forgiveness and how the dynamics of confession and forgiveness work in our relationship with God, so vertically, but also in our relationship with one another, horizontally. And we're going to take a number of weeks to figure this out together for the sake of our relationship with God and the sake of our relationship with others. And we're going to start with Psalm 32. Now, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is what's called a penitential psalm. It's one of seven penitential psalms you can find in the book of Psalms, Psalm 6, Psalm 51, Psalm, uh, I think, 100, yeah, 102, 130, 143. These are all penitential psalms. When you read these psalms, you can feel pretty bad. <laughs> you can. And maybe if you were to read all of these psalms, you would feel really bad. You would, you would feel terrible. But that's because we don't really then understand the nature of confession. We think that confession is wallowing. We think that, that confession is kind of about burying ourselves in self-loathing and hating ourselves because we suck so bad. And even though it's true that we suck so bad, according to the Bible, that's not what confession is meant to do for us or what it's meant to do in us. I have one point for this message. One point. That's it. And that point is right here in verse 30 or verses 1 and 2 of of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin, sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. It is the universal teaching of Scripture and expressed in this psalm that confession makes you happy. Confession, admitting your shortcomings, admitting your failures, admitting your rebellion, admitting your sins, laying them bare, actually doesn't make you worse. It makes you better. It makes you happy. You know that word blessed twice. We see it in verse 1 and verse 2. What does that word mean? In, in English, it's been kind of neutered, you know. Uh, uh, what does blessed mean? But in Hebrew, blessed is actually rich and very deep. And in fact, one of the ways you can translate the word blessed from the Hebrew into English is with the word happy. But if that doesn't work either, 
because when we think of the word happy, um, we think kind of an emotional state, right? I'm happy. I'm not sad. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm not feeling lousy. That's how we understand the word happy. But in Scripture, the word for blessed that, that you can translate happy, it actually means a profound wellness of being. It means deep fulfillment and contentment. It means peace. It means being spiritually, psychologically, emotionally at rest. I'll give you one more uh, story from the Bible. This is in, in 1 Kings chapter 10. Well, those of you who uh, might know this, I don't have to go into detail, but um, in 1 Kings chapter 10, the Queen of Sheba makes a visit to the nation of Israel to see Solomon. And Solomon is the wisest man who has ever lived, and he's king of Israel at this time, and he has established, well, his father David established the nation peacefully, but he has kind of expanded that peace, and, and, it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and in 1 Kings 10, verses 8 and 9, Sheba, the queen of Sheba, she says to Solomon this in a conversation. Where is that? Here we go. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Happy. How happy your officials must be, it says. Why would she say that they must be happy? She's saying, you know... They're just in such a good mood, you know, because you're, they're hanging out with you, Solomon. You're such a fun guy. You're such a, you're a good time, Charlie. Uh, no, of course not. She says in verse 9, he made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. The land was flourishing completely under the wise rule of King Solomon. There was justice and righteousness everywhere. And so the people experienced profound contentment and, and blessing. They, they experienced incredible fulfillment. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying that those who confess their sin before God experience incredible fulfillment and deep contentment and wonderful, wonderful peace, inner peace. Now, why? Fair question. Why, why would confession be so powerful? What, what is it about confession that makes it so powerful? Well, a simple and obvious and very important answer is through confession, you receive God's forgiveness. And so there's no more condemnation, right? You're free from death. You're free from judgment. You're free from fear. Romans chapter 8 Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so it's obvious that when you receive God's forgiveness, then, then there's no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me, as the hymn goes. 
You have nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of coronavirus taking your life because you know that, that whatever coronavirus does to you now to take your life, it is only going to make you more alive in the future. You don't have to fear a judgment because you don't carry the guilt of, uh, of, of your sins before the justice of God. You don't have to fear punishment because you have been made free from the penalty of sin. And that's all true. That's all true. And that's reason enough to be happy. But look at the text carefully. We're finally getting into the text, a little more detail. Notice that David says in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. In verse 2, he says, in whose spirit is no deceit. And in verse 5, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. These three things. And we're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks. But, but the reason for happiness is explained right here. David wrote Psalm 32 as a reflection on his sin with Bathsheba. You can read about that uh, in the book of Samuel. David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, a woman who was not his wife, and he actually had Bathsheba's husband, who was a close friend of his, had him killed. So he committed this adultery, and in the story, when you go read it, you discover that he tries to hide it. He tries to cover it up. He's deceitful. He was hiding the truth about himself and about what he did. He was, he was covering himself. And you see, this is what we all do. Deep down, we all know there's something wrong with us. We don't need to commit adultery or murder to know that about ourselves. We know that there's something off. We can't live up to our own standards. Many of us, because of COVID, I, you read about this in the paper too, it's fascinating. Many of us, because of COVID, we thought, well, I have no choice but have a lot more time on my hands. So what do you do? You say, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to pick up a project. I'm going to read more. I'm going to spend more time in daily devotions. And I'm going to pray like crazy. And I'm going to go to Grace Valley's morning prayer, Monday through Friday, week in and week out. I'm going to better myself. And a few weeks go by and you haven't done anything. All you've done is been watched the office again, all nine seasons in a week. You can't even keep up with your own standards and your own desires. And the newspaper is talking about how people are actually, depression and uh, anxiety is being compounded by those failures. We cannot escape it. And when someone points out shortcomings in us and things that we're doing wrong, we get defensive when we're confronted. Or we just try to ignore it. We say, mind your own business. Or we... We justify it. We say, well, there's lots of mitigating circumstances because of this uh, that has caused this, or we just snap back. And, and certainly we spend much of our lives spinning things, right? We want to look like we're really put together when we go out in public so that people don't see that internally we're a lot more messed up than, than they would ever guess. Or we work really hard to be smart and successful, And because of that, we can't love well. Because we can't know other people truly. We don't let them know us truly. 
And our concern is always about ourselves. How we look to others. The image we're projecting to others. We become very secretive about our inner lives. Now David is showing us that it doesn't have to be that way. We can be secure. So we don't have to be afraid of being exposed. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up, so he was exposed, right? But as soon as he did that, look what it says in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. See, as soon as he uncovered his sin, God could cover it. We need to be covered. We know that. We can't stand up under the gaze of God's scrutiny, God's or anyone else's scrutiny. And so the prospect of uncovering ourselves, especially in front of others, but most certainly it should be because of uncovering ourselves in front of God, terrifies us. We need to be covered, and we can be. God covers us. God covers us. What does that mean? How does he do that? You know, if you, you know, think back to the pre-COVID days, you know, the good old days when you would go out to a restaurant with a bunch of friends. You sit down, you have a great meal, and there's food, and there's drink, and there's conversation, and it's awesome, but it's really expensive. But every now and then when the bill comes, one of the people grabs the bill, pulls out their credit card, and says, I got it. It's covered. You see? This is what, this is what, God does with us. In verse 1, it says he does not count, oops, sorry, verse 2, the Lord does not count against them. The sin the Lord does not count against them. When you go to the restaurant, they say it's covered. That means the, the debt is paid, right? It's not counted against you by the restaurant anymore. And in the same way, God does not count our sin against him, because you see, on the cross, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who lived the life that you couldn't live and I couldn't live, he went there and he died the death that you and I should have died in our place. But you see, when he did that, he was stripped. He was uncovered. He was laid bare so that you and I could be covered. Our sin was put on him so that we could be covered. Not, not covered the way we cover things. How do we cover things? We sweep them under the rug. Don't talk about it. Don't expose it. No, no, no. That's not how God does it. God truly covers our sin by having the Son willingly pay the debt for us in our place. And that, when that sinks into you, that's what makes you happy. That's what makes you happy. That's what makes you able to walk into the world in strength, friends. Some of you have done such things in your life and maybe they were objectively terrible, but maybe they weren't even all that objectively terrible, but you are weighed down by the guilt of it and you cannot lift your head up in public because if anyone were to know that about you, you're terrified that they would be repulsed. But God covered your sin through Jesus. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see that 
He sees the perfect obedience of his son. He doesn't see the muck of a life that you've made of, you know, of your relationships and of your life. He sees the perfect life of his son. And he cherishes you and he delights in you. Now that, when that sinks into you, friends, then you can be free to be open and honest with others and love them just as they are and just as you are. Christians should be the happiest people on earth because they're the most forgiven people on the earth and and therefore they can be the most loving people on earth. Oh, that we would learn this lesson, hey? I've been at this a long time. I've been a Christian a long time and I've been in relationships a long time. I'm still learning it. It takes a long time to learn, but over the next weeks, let's learn together. Let's learn together for the glory of God and for our own joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, oh, that you covered our sin. What a gift. What a gift to make us truly happy, blessed for your glory so that we could share your glory. Lord, we look forward to learning more about this in the coming weeks. It will be a hard, there will be tough lessons. Oh, but you, you are such a gentle teacher. Yeah, we look forward, Father. We look forward to what you will teach us through your word. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The worship team is on their way back. And uh, typically, uh, around this time, uh, we would, we would uh, participate in communion. But of course, uh, that is something that we're unable to do right now as we're apart. I just want to make one reminder to you again uh, that uh, if you want to contribute to the ministries of Grace Valley Church as we uh, seek to, to minister in the name of Jesus in today and every day, um, you can do that by e-transferring funds, uh, office at gracevalleychurch.ca. You can go to www.gracevalleychurch.ca and see various ways that you can give online. And if you want to maybe pay by check and mail it in, you can uh, find our address on the website. But getting back to communion. You know, communion is, is meant to be a, a picture of what is awaiting us at the last day. When we are reunited with Jesus in the flesh, face to face, in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation describes it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what the Lord's Supper anticipates. Let me just, let me just read to you from the book of Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those, you hear that word again? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God.
Please pray with me. Father, we cannot yet sit down with you, your son, at that marriage supper of the Lamb. And even right now, we can't anticipate it in the same way that we would like to through the communion that we typically do on a Sunday together. And we pray, Father, that you will strengthen us by these words from Revelation. Remind us these words are true, that that day is coming. And that even though we can't eat together now, oh, the day will come when we are going to eat together at the greatest party ever staged. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we long for that day. And so we ask, Jesus, come. Come, Lord. Establish that eternal kingdom once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.